0: Welcome to the Tuesday Quarterback Edition of the Gridiron Podcast. I'm your host and Commissioner, Huck Breeze, here to review an exciting Week 8 in the Gridiron Fantasy League. I can't express to you how sorry I am for missing last week and not handing out kudos for those who deserve it. This season is especially busy for me every year, but this year even more so. A World Series trip a newborn's first Halloween, a historic election, and in between it all, of course, fancy football. The focus has not strayed, as I have now controlled the tailspin, winning two straight. And Winning feels good, it really does, but no one ever received a trophy for winning week eight, so we keep our eyes on the prize. Trophy number four. Now, these weekly monologues aren't about me, though, so let's get into the meat of the content. This is my first season doing these weekly rundowns of our great fantasy football league, the greatest fantasy football league, in fact, and so I feel like the content is subject to change from week to week based on the results that unfold. Kudos for every team. Every week is simply just not sustainable, and yelling obscenities at every team on weeks that I lose, although fulfilling and entertaining, sometimes is tough and half-baked, so Here's another facet to the Tuesday quarterback, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the good. Disco Lemonade beat Camacho standing on one leg. Tavon Diggs, who produced meager weeks of four, four, and five since Neal snagged him on October 5th, picked off two passes and was attacked on what seemed like every play for the Eagles. An awful cornerback that can absolutely be exploited in coverage, but amounts for an intriguing fantasy cornerback. C. Pierre Desir. His new pickups of Drew Locke and Jalen Rager... Both got in double digits to help him in his underdog victory, making for a well-managed, manufactured win. Who needs Robert Woods anyway? Next up, Ulysses S. Grant has won not one, not two, not three, not four, but five straight to go from last to fifth place. Now, I'm not going to rain on his parade by mentioning that during this win streak, he has only beaten one team with a winning record, because hell. A win streak is a win streak, especially in a league as competitive as ours. Max has been a fervent dealer this season as he is second in the league with 12 trades. During this time, he has weathered injuries and buys with ease, disposing of the lower teams in his path. Let's talk about Notorious, who looks to have put together the current scariest team in the league. In the first half of the season, we could not stop talking about the Maestro, and while we were doing that, Danny has quietly amassed the best record in the league, with one of his losses being a sacrificial lamb for the betterment of his season. From top to bottom, he has built a team with few holes in the proverbial mithril armor. What's most impressive is that he's done all this without his first-round pick, the undisputed best running back for the past few years, Christian McCaffrey. Rumham, we have something in common. After three straight losses, we have put together back to back wins. Your QB's preseason would look like an absolute dream as they were drafted 9 and 12 overall, and even now present a challenge for whoever plays you week to week. You lead the league with 17 trades, but have held on to important pillars on your path to being a current playoff team Drew Brees, James Robinson, Noah Fant. Nick Chubb, Hollywood Brown, Jabril Peppers, and John Johnson III are O.G. Rumhams. Okay, now for the bad. Poopy 2 I'm beginning to think maybe Lamar wasn't the correct pick at number two overall. Dak still leads him in overall points by 16, despite not playing for the past two and a half weeks. Jackson hasn't cleared 30 points since week one. As being outplayed, at least so far, by such quarterbacks as Ryan Tannehill, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, and Jared Goff? Speaking of Jared Goff, I don't think I've seen more ineptitude out of the quarterback position than what he put on the table last week at Miami. In what looked like perfect weather for a 50-burger, Goff turned the ball over four times and looked absolutely lost. I would say not to panic, but... But with outings like that, Sean McVeigh might be more apt to turn back to his favorite play, the halfback dive. Fupa Slayer is the only team in the league not to reach 170-point threshold in any week in the season. After putting together a four-game win streak and the self-touted, quote, longest win streak in the league, unquote, he has now dropped two straight. His first-round pick, which was highly controversial at the time, has now become no better than a meddling running back, too, in an offense that is lucky to reach the red zone. Maestro hasn't been the perfect team that we all thought he was earlier in the season, and has lately looked very beatable. His running backs have both fought injuries COVID and buys, and his number one wide receiver, at least by draft position, has had his stock tanked due to the pathetic Cowboys quarterback situation. Now, Michael has historically been a manager that sticks with the status quo through good and bad and tends to avoid massive upheaval and taking late season chances. I'm not going to say Michael should hit the trade market by any means, but I will give my two cents by predicting his team may never reach the pedigree that it established in the first half of the season. Camacho has admittedly been way better than predicted at the start of the season, but that's not hard to do when you're pecked for dead last. This last week all but proved that Carson Wentz, someone that Chase has declined to move or even offer up in the trade market, is just not a good quarterback too. He made Dallas's weak defense look like they knew what they were doing. And it wasn't so much the two picks and the two times putting the ball on the ground, but amassing a pathetic 123 yards through the air should be alarming and grounds for removal. I am being stone-cold serious when I say that if not for a tight nfc East shit shitshow race, then Jalen Hurts might be the better choice, both on, on the field and in fantasy. Dad has really fallen from what we once thought would be a top-tier playoff team. We presented, When presented with a trade opportunity for a trio of quarterback needy teams this week, I considered trade partners carefully and came across Brad's team that has just nothing left to give. Yes, his QBs are exquisite for fantasy purposes, and Alvin Kamara is a fine running back one, but the rest of his team has heavily underperformed. With zero depth and a number of free agent-worthy players scattered on his roster, it'll be interesting to see if he can hold on to make the playoffs. Go boy. Now the ugly. In most seasons, internal touchdown drafts with his heart and not his head, and in most seasons, that someone works for him. This is not one of those seasons. His two early season investments in what universally is known as the most important position in the gridiron Quarterback, were Garoppolo and Danny Dimes, both flops. He sold one to me for peanuts, and the other one is freshly hit IR. He was already behind the eight ball with his draft strategy of not drafting anyone until late in the third round, and those mediocre picks can't stay healthy. He just doesn't have the talent nor the depth to be a playoff team, and it'll be interesting to see if he chooses to adopt the same strategy in 2021. Unicycle Polar Bears is the only ugly team to get a win last week, but it just so happened to be over another ugly team. Somehow he pulled it off with a combination of Foles and Taysom Hill at the quarterback position, but I guess if you can snag a near-50 burger out of your running back, things like this could happen. Cameron's team looks like a team with a perpetual amount of buys and injuries, as he's trying to stay afloat with fill-ins for injuries such as Jared McKinnon and now has to weather multiple COVID scares on defense. His team has pushed him to the brink this year, as he has already casted 31 moves out of the 35 allotted, budgeting him four for the last eight weeks of the season. And speaking of having no moves, Darce Scott has only 31 as well. After using a flurry of moves to try and inject some fresh blood into his team, he's done so with, since the first TD out of the gate this season, and has dropped and traded away some of his biggest names. The what-have-you-done-for-me-lately strategy has proven to be, well, not good, as he is currently third to last in overall points and has scored under 140 four times this season. In 2006, that probably would be an acceptable number, but we are living in the age of 2020, where offensive numbers are sometimes eye-popping and defenses tend to disappear. With only four backup running backs on his roster, all in well-known committees, the future doesn't look bright for Darth Scott. And it may not be fair for last man standing, but he is by far the ugliest. A once-MVP favorite's ankle got twisted in ways that are hard to watch, and since that point, this team has just gotten worse. Cam Newton is looking very 2019-esque and cannot under any circumstances move the ball downfield with any consistency. He lost Julian Edelman, in his Patriots combo gamble is now left with an average, at best, wide receiver situation. And Scott is a very laissez-faire fantasy manager and is rarely the snake and often snaked. He's in the dreaded position of being in dead last place with no second quarterback and no prospects. His total overall points are second to last, and he could be surpassed by the last place team if he doesn't make a move in a QB market that is already tight as it is. Now, I hope you enjoyed the good, the bad, and the ugly. And before I go, I'd like to let you uh, go with some fun observations from around the league. Now, if the playoffs were to start today, every single team, minus Clay, that has never had the pleasure of hoisting a Gridiron Championship trophy would make the playoffs. The total playoff championships total for these teams would be five, with four of them being in the same bracket, all but guaranteeing that at least one new team would have a shot at glory. This is all relative, of course, as the barometer for playoff teams could change from week to week. And to close out, I will toot my own horn a bit, much to the disgust of all of you. From Week 9 on in both 2018 and 2019, Sex Raptor is 15-1, with the lone loss being to Rumham in Week 1 of the playoffs last year. Now, that record is difficult, if not impossible, to replicate, but that won't stop me from trying to continue on my own success. Thanks for listening this week, and as always, I will be back tomorrow at the usual time with my partner in crime, Scott Shedig. To get you ready for Thursday night football and give our gridiron picks for week nine. So long. To hang on every word, each lie was more absurd, kept me so insecure, but now that's over, she taught me how to trust and to believe in us, and then she taught me how to cuss.